We are downtown. We are historic. We are family. We are scriptural. We are First Baptist Church. How wonderful it is to have our choir and our orchestra. Today we finish up our series in Solomon, on Solomon, building the temple. And we'll finish in 2 Chronicles chapter 9, and we're going to read aloud together verses 22 through 26. So if you would, stand with me and we will read. This then is the text for today. So King Solomon became greater than all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. And all the kings of the earth were seeking the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. They brought every man his gift, articles of silver and gold, garments, weapons, spices, horses, and mules, so much year by year. Now Solomon had 4,000 stalls for horses and chariots and 12,000 horsemen, and he stationed them in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. He was the ruler over all the kings from the Euphrates River even to the land of the Philistines and as far as the border of Egypt. May God bless the reading of his word. You know, I don't know if you would ever get tired of people knocking on your door bringing extravagant gifts. But if anybody would know the answer to that question of whether or not you would get tired of someone knocking at your door and bringing you extravagant gifts, the, the one who could answer that would be Solomon himself. Last week, as we were reading in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 9, we heard of the queen of Sheba who did just that, where she came before him, knocked on his door, brought him all the gifts that she could, and they had a blessed time together. And now as we finish up this sermon series and as we finish up Second Chronicles chapter 9, the end of Solomon's life brings many more who are knocking on his door this week. And as it goes, year after year, many were knocking on his door. They had heard of his wisdom. They had heard of what the Lord was doing in his life. And they would bring him gifts upon gifts. This particular text is speaking of a particular year. And in this particular text, on this particular year, Solomon received 25 tons of gold. You know, we measure gold in ounces. Solomon was measuring it in tons. You know, we've talked a little bit about this before, but it is difficult to make the transition from what things were worth then to what they are worth now. But... We could say that finding a direct equivalent that this is something upwards of a billion dollars worth of gold that was brought to him year after year. In fact, there was so much of it lying around as chapter 9 continues on. It says there was so much gold lying around that they just started to do everything with the gold. He was making shields out of gold. He, he made his throne and he covered it in gold. He made a footstool. He made it out of gold. The dishes that he used were gold and it just goes on and on. The text says gold was so abundant to them that silver became practically worthless. If you want to look, verse 24 sums it up all quite well. And you would think someone so wise as Solomon, someone as wealthy as Solomon at this point, that surely a man like Solomon would be content. 
but he wasn't. What we learn in other texts is his life begins to unravel. And somewhere along the way in his life and in his work, Solomon decided to become an amateur trapeze artist. That's what I mean by that. He's, he's hanging on to God with one hand, and, and it says there's a, there's a part of his life where he was just hanging on to God with everything that he was, and life was wonderful. But there came a moment, he looked the other way, and he, he began to, to jump, and he, he, he began to let go of God, and he jumped this way, and he would grab a hold of anything and, and everything that he could grab a hold of that wasn't God. Now, it's not entirely clear when this happened in his life. There's some early signs in his reign that this could happen. But he really doesn't, doesn't make this, this jump from, from this side uh, and to this side until later in his life. In fact, First Kings says he's, he's pretty old when this begins to happen. And, you know, these, these kinds of things happen for all kinds of reasons. It's what we do. It's, it's, it's a part of the flesh it's, Solomon is living this life with an embarrassment of riches. And none of it is of himself. None of these things came to him because of who he is. All of this, the, the wealth that had been showered upon him, the, 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 the might that he had seen in the expansion of the kingdom and all of these people coming to meet him and know him, it's all because of the work of God. God, God had blessed him with all of these things. God had blessed him with the wisdom from heaven. And, and Solomon lets go of all of that, and he swings to the other side and tries to grab a hold of something else. Now, maybe Solomon knew that everything in his life was a product of who God was. I don't know, maybe he just wanted to do something on his own. Maybe the amateur trapeze artist uh, just came because it was a, a bit of pride for him. We do this to God all the time. God sets out a perfectly peaceful course for our lives, and we think we can do better on our own. We think we can add to it. We, we think we can make it better. We think we can add to the things that God has given us and go one step further. And when we go one step further than where God has taking us, taken us, we are in sin. We cannot do better on our own. Maybe that's what Solomon thought. I don't know. Maybe Solomon was just bored with his life. Maybe he was bored hanging on to God and decided to jump and grab a hold of something else. You know, it's important for us to pause here because we see this embarrassment of riches. We talked about it in our Sunday school class this morning. One of the things that, that, that trips us up as we read in Second Chronicles and we read about Solomon is we start to think, I would like that. I would like 25 tons of gold dropped on my doorstep. I would like to be the most powerful one in the world at the time. I would like to be the wisest one in the world. And we have to be careful there because for so many of us, especially in America, we think that more money is the answer to our problems. And it's a common sentiment we even, we even hear in, in churches that, that, that people genuinely believe, if I had just a little more, I could make it all work. Let me tell you this morning, you can't make it all work with a little bit more. You can't even make it all work with a lot a bit more. See, if you can't make it work with what you have, you're never going to be able to make it work. And I'm not talking about paying your bills. I'm talking about being obedient to Jesus Christ. There's not a little bit more that is going to get you over the hump. 
You know, a common procrastination that we hear is that people say, well, my family, we, we will serve the Lord when we get it all together. We'll, we'll serve the Lord when, when we finally get life settled. We'll serve the Lord when we get a little bit more, and it never happens. A little bit more doesn't lead you into obedience with the Lord. In fact, having a little bit more isn't going to fix anything. Even having the wealth of Solomon isn't going to fix the way sin and temptation attaches itself to your life. You know, we need to stop saying that we're going to follow Jesus when some future thing happens. Because if you're not doing it today, you're not ever going to do it. We have a really bad habit of, of believing that, that we're going we're to do better then. Or, or even still, we have a bad habit of believing, well, I would be better if I was in Solomon's shoes. If I had Solomon's wisdom, if I had Solomon's money, if I had Solomon's fame, then, then I would be doing better. But that's just not the case. Being faithfully obedient to Jesus Christ is about following him now, today, in your shoes with what you have, because God has given graciously to you as well. And so we choose this day whom we will serve. We don't choose tomorrow whom we are going to serve. We don't say, God, I'm going to follow you tomorrow. Because if you say that, and when we say, God, I'm going to follow you tomorrow, we are very explicitly saying, God, I am not going to follow you today. And every day we say, God, I'm not going to follow you today. It makes it easier and easier for us to never get there. You're not going to follow Jesus Christ when circumstances are different. The only circumstances that matter are now. Will you surrender to Jesus Christ today? Not whenever you get Solomon's wealth, because it's not going to help, even if it does come. You know, as we, we've read through Solomon's life the last 13 weeks, uh, we see Solomon coming to the end, and, and he's proving that with time, the temptation only gets more intense. You know, I don't know if Solomon was bored or prideful, but, but there comes this moment in his life when the gifts become more than gold, and when the gifts became more than gold, it ruined him, and it led to the eventual downfall of the nation. It's interesting, and uh, it's not entirely clear why, but Second Chronicles doesn't tell us of this moment. It, it, Second Chronicles doesn't speak to that time where, where Solomon is hanging on to God, and then he leaps and grabs a hold of something else. Second Chronicles doesn't tell us about that, but First Kings does. In fact, First Kings 11 describes exactly how and when this, this happens, when Solomon's sin begins to grow faster than his wealth. It didn't matter that, that people are dropping a billion dollars worth of gold at his doorstep. He's sinning all the more. You see, he, in his peaceful life, began this deadly trapeze stunt where he jumps away from God and into the arms of a thousand women. Scripture tells us in 1 Kings 11 that Solomon attaches himself to them and he holds fast to them and he won't let go of them. He's done that to God. He's been hanging on to God. But then he decides at one point, I'm going to let go of God and I'm going to cling to a thousand women. And that's what he does and he won't let go. You know, it'd be easy for us to say that, well, like father, like son. But these weren't lustful affairs. In fact, it, it may have been even worse. All of these women were an intentional political strategy. You see, as it, as it were, in Solomon's day, this is what any good politician would have done. The, the dominant political strategy of the day encouraged Solomon to, to bring in all the daughters of all of the kingdoms that surround them. And if you brought in the, the daughters of the neighbors and you married the daughters of the neighbors, they become like a peace treaty or a bargaining chip. 
And that's what Solomon began to do. These thousand women became a thousand bargaining chips with all of his neighbors so that he might hold power that he didn't hold before. But let me tell you, that was not God's political strategy for Israel. That was Solomon saying, I'm going to step out on my own. I'm going to leave God's ways behind me. I'm going to let go of them. And I'm going to grab a hold of this political strategy because that seems like that's going to bring me more power than I've ever had before. See, God had the perfect plan for Solomon. He had the perfect plan for Israel. And he had already blessed them far beyond what they deserved in that. When he was hanging on to God, life was limitless. He saw things that he never could have seen on his own, and he let go of all of it to cling to some political strategy. He jumped from God to political theorists. You know, God had already warned Israel about this very thing in Deuteronomy 17. Even before uh, Israel entered into the Promised Land, God said, these kinds of traps are there, and Solomon fell into every one of them. There wasn't a single warning there from Deuteronomy that Solomon doesn't fall into when he began to trust the political theorists and what they were teaching rather than what the Word of God teaches and rather than trusting in who God is. Solomon wanted to hold fast to something else, and what ended up happening to him is exactly what God said would happen. It's exactly the way Scripture says life will unfold when you let go of God. When, when Solomon grabbed a hold of all of those other things, it wasn't long before Solomon began to worship a moon goddess who liked to hunt. You know, it's interesting, it's even at that moment, even as he's worshiping some moon goddess, or there was another god that was requiring child sacrifice and these kinds of things, and even as he chased after those things, he could have repented, right? God tells us that their repentance is available and that if you will let go of the things of the world and if you will come back to God in repentance, he will forgive you and he will make all of this right. There is, there is nothing and there's no one that's too far gone that's beyond repentance and the work of God and his grace. But Solomon didn't repent. Solomon could have witnessed these women. He could have discipled these women. He could have taught them the ways of God. But none of that was in him. And they all kept him away from the Lord. So that those, those biblical options weren't even considered. And Solomon's disobedience just encouraged more and more disobedience, and Israel faltered and failed. And I know none of this makes sense. How could a man with, with, with such wisdom, how could a man with such means just, just give up on the God who got him there? And to that, we look at ourselves and we say the same thing. How can we give up on a God who got us here? Because that thought crosses our mind in the same way it crossed Solomon's. Why would Solomon let go of God and jump to a thousand women? There's no sensible explanation. And, you know, I think that's what we need to hear this morning, that, that there is no sensible explanation to temptation and sin. There's no sensible explanation for us letting go of God and clinging to something else, but, but still we do it. You know, I, I know that, that many of us are surprised at Solomon's failure, but God isn't surprised at Solomon's failure. Frankly, we shouldn't be surprised at Solomon's failure either. 
We, we see it happen. We see it happen in our own hearts and in our own lives where we struggle to embrace God and, and we, we, we struggle to, to embrace God's ways and, and what he wants for us. And let me tell you, as, as much as the struggle is for us to embrace God and what he has for us, God understands it. You know, as, as we struggle with explanations, God knows the explanation. God knows your heart and God knows your struggle. And God has prepared a way where you can leap back into his embrace, where as you have swung all the way over and you've, you've clung to the things of the world, God, God saw this coming and, and he said, I'm, I'm going to make a way so that you can, you can come back and that you can embrace me. And that work culminated in the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, God knew of your brokenness. Your, your brokenness is not a surprise to God. Your, your brokenness shouldn't be a surprise even to yourself. We are broken people. We live in a dark and dying world. And God said, I know this. I, I have prepared so that you can come back to me. And God sent his son Jesus Christ to the cross so that we might, through that sacrifice, come back to him. See, for our sin, God set the cross and God sent the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit would work on our heart and draw us back to God by the way of the cross. You know, this is one of the beautiful things about this is that it is a gift of God. It's like we were reading in Titus earlier. It's not something that we earn. It's not something we deserve. It's just like all of those gifts that were dropped on Solomon's doorstep. He didn't earn them. He didn't deserve them. They came directly from God. Those people and all those people that were dropping uh, tons of gold at his doorstep, they were recognizing that God was at work, and they were recognizing who God was when they did it. This had, had nothing to do with Solomon. It was about the wisdom of God. And in the same way, God has said, I have you, and I have taken care of you, and I have given you a treasure that is more valuable than all the gold in the face of the earth. I have given you and made available to you a treasure that is beyond what any king from a faraway land could offer. He's saying, would you accept this? Would you accept this perfect gift that is in front of you? You don't need the gold. You need the blood of Jesus Christ. And, you know, some of us behave a lot more like 17-year-old Chris who doesn't understand why he needs an umbrella. Some of us don't understand why we need the blood of Christ more than we need silver and gold. Have you ever been given one of those gifts that you weren't enthused about it? That there comes a moment when you realize how useful it might be, and you thank them later for it. Because so many of us have yet to realize the magnitude of the gift that God has given us in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. But it is here, it is free, it is available, it is unearned, it is a gift of God from heaven, and it is worth far more than silver and gold. Will you surrender to the Christ and be his this morning? That's the treasure and the hope of the gospel. Let's pray together. Lord, we recognize that we are no better than Solomon. Lord, every one of us in here have had a moment where we let go of you and we grabbed a hold of something else. And Lord, we pray this morning before we fall, would you grab a hold of us and would you embrace us and make things right?
Lord, we pray that you would help us to live in the freedom of your forgiveness. Lord, we pray that we would find great joy in your embrace, that you'd revive us and make us whole, and that you would heal our hearts and bring us home. And so, Lord, we, we want to be obedient to you. Uh, we want to commit to you. And so, Lord, we say we, we trust you. We are yours. It's in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.